And here we are 2,000 years later with the benefit of the canon of Scripture, God's Word, and we read about a story about a man who doubted. When Kenan sent me that video a few weeks ago, I said, wow, that's how I'm going to kick off the service and the preaching time when I preach on Thomas. There was something else that the actor shared in that video that Jesus never wasted a moment. Everything that the disciples experienced with Christ had a lesson attached to it. I think it's the same way for us today if we're willing to watch and willing to listen. Because I know that in my life after all these years that I try not to let a day go by without learning something new. Something about myself that maybe in the past had been buried or maybe I had put it away. But, but all of us have to deal with what Thomas dealt with in the first century. And it's called doubt. So I, I titled my message, One of the Doubters. Not Doubting Thomas, but he's simply one of the doubters. And I count myself as one of those doubters as well. If you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindle, you got a Bible app, I want you to turn with me to the book of Jude. There's only one chapter. The book of Jude, beginning in verse 17, and it will be our jumping off point, if you will, for our message today. The Bible says, But you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now before I get to verse 22, I've not always shown the kind of mercy that I need to show. Whether it's a pastor or not is not the important thing. It's as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, just in general conversations with people that I care about, family, friend, or whomever. So verse 22, when I was studying last week while we were on spring break, really spoke to my heart. Where Jude says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. I've not always done that. I've had a tendency, like some of you as well, if you'll be honest, to be judgmental. Why are you doubting? I'm not doubting about that. Why should you be doubting about that? Instead of giving a merciful response, we're almost condescending. Really? You're doubting about this? And so the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart a little bit about this, this verb called doubt. It means and I'm uncertain about something. It means I'm questioning it. it. It means I'm regarding it with suspicion, the dictionary says. Yes, Thomas doubted, but so do we. And I don't know who all this is for today, but I count myself in the number. Is that doubt may not be your biggest obstacle today, but it could be any number of other things because there are other prominent Bible characters that had other flaws as well. Abraham lied. 
Sarah laughed at God's promises. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. David had an affair. Lazarus was dead. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Jeremiah became depressed and suicidal. Martha was a worrywart. Samson had long hair and Noah got drunk. And these are the men and women we preach about Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we place them up on a pedestal, a place they need not be. We all have doubts. Which is what today's message about the characters of Easter is all about. But the list I gave you a few moments ago, it's not exhaustive, is it? In fact, you and I could easily insert our names in some of those areas. But today, it's about the story of Thomas. And I'm not here today to once again embarrass him or to belittle him. I believe we have the story of Thomas included in the canon of Scripture to make us aware of our own unbelief. But I think it's important if you're going to preach on somebody, you need to know their resume just a little bit. So here's Thomas. He was a commercial fisherman. He grew up around the Sea of Galilee. And while he was there plying his trade, Jesus comes to town. He shows up in Capernaum and he calls Thomas and others to follow him. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see some verses like Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, that gives us an indication of whom was called. And he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So these men who were called were given a great power. Thomas was among the 12. For three years, Thomas followed Jesus. He saw and participated in the miracles. He became a part of the team. He he rubbed shoulders with the Son of God. Day in and day out, he walked with Jesus. Then the Garden of Gethsemane happens. In November of 2019, I stood in the Garden of Gethsemane like many of you who have traveled to the Holy Land. Then looking across the valley of Jehoshaphat, on up to the gates... The beautiful golden gate that is unable to walk through now because of a sultan in Islam in the 1500s. And then you see the Dome of the Rock and you see Jerusalem on the other side. I often wondered what Jesus and the disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, what he saw from the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14 gives us a little glimpse. The Bible says, and they, of course the Roman soldiers, laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now other accounts in the gospel say, of course, that was Simon Peter. He got out of control. He he pulls his sword and he cuts off the ear of a man by the name of Malchus. And then Jesus looked at the Roman soldiers and says to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Verse 50 is so powerful. 
that again, you have to remember, they have hung out with Jesus for three years. They believed in him that he was the son of the living God. They had actually testified to that. But verse 50 says, and they all left him and fled, Thomas included. Now it says that the disciples fled and they left Jesus alone, but was he really alone? I don't believe he was. Just like some of us today believe that we are alone, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're never alone. John 16 verse 32 says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it is come, that when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I don't know about you, but these last 12 months, when friends of mine and friends of yours have passed from death to life, I felt alone, but I was not alone. Now, if you and I kept reading in the Gospels, we would see in the narrative the arrest of Jesus, the illegal trials, then the crucifixion, the cross, then the resurrection. But the story of Thomas centers around Easter Sunday and following. Now, we all know the story that the women showed up first at the tomb, Matthew 28, then the apostle Peter, Luke 24, and then a guy by the name of Cleopas, in Luke 24. Then by the evening time of Resurrection Sunday, all of Thomas's closest friends had claimed that Jesus had suddenly appeared to them behind a locked door where he spoke with them and ate with them in John 20 and Luke 24. But it was a meeting that Thomas missed. So Thomas now finds himself in company with Judas the betrayer as the only disciple of the twelve who had not seen the risen Savior. Which leads us to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. What were they fearful of? Well, Jesus had been risen from the grave, but they knew that he had been crucified and had died, and they didn't want the same thing to happen to them. So they were fearful of the Jews. They were fearful of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But there's something interesting about this story on Resurrection Sunday night. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, verse 24 says called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Where was Thomas? Where was the one that we now call Doubting Thomas? Well, if you've never been in the military, there's a word called AWOL, absent without leave. That's where Thomas was. He was not where he was supposed to be. Let me tell you something I've learned in 30 plus years of ministry. Most of the time that you and I get in trouble is because we're somewhere we're not supposed to be. Now, parents will say, all right, I hope my teenager's listening to that. Well, guess what, Mom and Dad? It's not just for them. It's for you as well. Because we see Thomas being out of place, not where he was supposed to be, and he missed out on a moment with Jesus. A moment that the other disciples got to experience. Look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Sort of arrogant, isn't it? Where we know that Scripture goes on to say that those of you that believe and have yet not seen, you'll be blessed. But Thomas wasn't thinking about that right now. No, he had allowed his human emotion to get the best of him. He was selfish, he was self-centered, and he was self-serving. Thomas was not in the least bit excited about his buddies getting to see Jesus without him. You ever had some friends of yours experience something that was so awesome, but you didn't get to go for whatever reason? They come back and tell you, and you're going, yay. You're trying to be excited, but you're not really excited because you missed out. That's what happens with Thomas here. And the longer I live, the more I know that when my doubt and frustration kick in, it'll cause me to respond in the same way. I become selfish. I become self-centered. I become self-serving. Dare I, I begin to doubt. Was I really a part of the team? Why did Jesus come behind locked doors and see them and I wasn't there? Thomas comes to that place. He says, unless my demands are met, I will never believe. It's almost as if Thomas said, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Because I didn't get to experience this with my friends, with my fellow disciples, my fellow apostles. I'm not going to believe. But look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. You think he learned a lesson? Oh, yeah. He's been hearing these stories about Jesus being with the disciples, but he waits eight days. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, when I was studying last week, I thought, why did Jesus wait eight days to appear to all the disciples again? You and I learn things by waiting. You and I are forced to go beyond just learning from the surface to get into the deep end of the pond. See, it's going to be those, those moments where you don't hear God's voice, but you know that he's there, but you're having to wait on the answer to come, and you have one of two choices. I can either rebel or I can embrace I want to get closer to him, not farther away from him. You say, but Joel, you know, Thomas was just acting like another human being. Absolutely. Thomas's doubts may have been humanly understandable, but they were not commendable. And then I have written in my notes these words, you and I do things that are humanly understandable. Sometimes we'll be in a conversation as pastors and we'll hear about a situation. We'll go, well, we understand. Just because you understand doesn't mean you commend it. Just because you understand about your family member or your situation doesn't mean that it's right or acceptable. You know, the Bible says if it is not of faith, it is sin. And see, my generation and younger, we've not learned to live by faith. We always want to live by sight. In fact, it begs the question, what's going on in your life right now, whether you're at home or here on campus... What is going on in your life right now that will require great faith but not great sight? Oh, Pastor, i got 20-20 vision. That's great. But the Bible doesn't talk about great sight. 
The Bible talks about great faith. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I thought about resurrection Sunday night, and then Jesus waits eight days before he appears to the disciples again. Jesus was not in a hurry to relieve Thomas's doubts. Some of us right now have some doubts going on. We may have doubts about Scripture, doubts about our salvation, doubts about what we do for a living, doubts about our, our skill set, or whatever it may be. We have doubts. And what I've learned and what Thomas learned and maybe what we're all learning together is God's waiting room can be hard, but it's worth it. None of us like to wait. None of us like to spend time waiting for the bone to heal or the emotions to heal. We all want to snap our finger and everything's fine again, but we don't learn lessons that way. We don't learn depth about our own life when something is given to us on a platter. No, we have to go through the frustration of the moment, the tension of the moment, and we're going to come out on the other side much better if we're willing to allow the lesson to happen. The older I get, the quicker I cry. And as a pastor, sometimes I'll see people broken. My first impulse is to go to them and say, it's going to be all right. And the Holy Spirit will sometimes just stop me in my tracks and say, let them alone. Let them work out their salvation with fear and trembling and tears. Let him or her walk through that valley of the shadow right now because I have great lessons for them. Joel, don't get in the way of what I'm doing. Now again, as a parent, I want to step in when Zeke is hurt. I want to step in when my little girl Danny is hurt. But even now I'm learning that sometimes as a parent I have to, okay, they need to figure this out. And it's not going to happen overnight. So there may be some sleepless nights. There may be some broken hearts. There may be some things they have to go through. But God is doing something in their life. And we have to learn how to wait on God. Which brings me to my favorite Old Testament verse. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. But pastor, I don't want to wait I want what I want, and I want it now. Waiting does not create weakness. Waiting creates strength for the journey ahead. Because the lessons in life that we're learning in the present are always to help us in the future. Or the Lord would not allow us to go through them in the first place. If we do trust and believe in the sovereignty of God, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose, I've got to trust him. Even though I don't like what's going on, and even though I'm having to wait for the answer to come. So what happens? On the eighth day, Jesus not only addresses the other disciples, he also addresses Thomas. The one who said, I'm not going to believe until I can put my hands in the nail-scarred hands, until I can put my hands into his side. Look at verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. 
Stop doubting and believe. I believe there is a watershed moment that happens for all of us who are followers of Jesus where we stop doubting and we believe. Thomas had that moment. It's found in verse 28. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Is that where you are today? Are, are you standing on the precipice? Or are, are, are you just that close to the answer? But maybe the answer is not going to come this morning. The answer is not going to come tonight. Maybe there's going to be a few days go by. There's going to be a few weeks go by before the answer finally comes. And here you are wallowing in doubt. But in the midst of that, God has a lesson. And God has a plan. Are you willing to trust him? You say you trust him. I say that I trust him. But then I get impatient. And I want my answer yesterday. Rather than waiting on God's timing and God's plan. I was teaching a few years ago in Louisville. And someone asked a question about Thomas. They said, Joel... What happened to Thomas later on? Well, we don't find out about the details in God's Word, but church tradition says he, he went to India and he became a missionary, a church planter. He eventually was martyred by those same individuals he was ministering to and he was killed. You say, well, that's, that's not a Hollywood ending. Very rarely does the follower of Jesus have a Hollywood ending. He wants us to be faithful, not necessarily successful. And the sooner you and I, as followers of Jesus, come to grips with that moment, Lord, I'm listening. You are my Lord, and you are my God. I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to consider what we've talked about today. And today is a, also a very exciting day. Eli is getting baptized. So I'm going to ask Brother Greg and I'm going to ask uh, Ben and Eli and the family. And Brother Andy, if you guys will just head on over. Brother Greg's going to meet you there. Brother Andy and Miss Karen are coming. And so here in just a few minutes, we're going to have a baptism. And maybe you've been contemplating the same decision that Eli made a few weeks ago. You need to know Jesus.